Good morning, Grace. Thank you, Walt and worship team. Thanks for that new song. I think by third service, I'm going to know it. It's the advantage of, of getting the privilege to preach. Uh, my name is Eric Twisselman, and uh, I'm one of the elders here, and uh, I'm excited to uh, bring Genesis, uh, first part of Genesis chapter 2, to you. Um, as we're sitting here in worship, uh, there's, a, there's a, a word that's maybe stood out among all the others across all the songs we've been singing, uh, and that word is holy. Our God is holy, and he is set apart. He is exalted. He is special, and we are to regard him as such, and it's a good word, actually, uh, to, get in t- to have on our minds as we go into today's passage from Genesis 2, talking about the creation before the fall, this creation that manifest his goodness and his holiness and that was special and set apart, and man as a special creation. So why don't we turn in our Bibles, if if you have them, uh, to Genesis chapter two. We are preaching through the book of Genesis, and uh, we have a a bit of a longer passage this morning. We're gonna be going from verses four through verse 17. And if we could, could we stand in honor of God and his word as I read it? Uh, Feel free to follow along if you like, or if if, if if you wish, just... Stand and listen, and listen to God's word and ask uh, that he would instruct you through it. And I'm gonna uh, back up just for the sake of context to, to verse one of chapter two. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because On it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. 
And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we give you glory, we give you praise, we give you honor for your magnificent work. You have created this world to reflect your glory and your goodness, and we thank you for its many blessings. But most of all, we thank you for your word that teaches us what we need to know about you and your character and your plan for salvation. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who teaches us through your word, and we ask, Holy Spirit, would you please enlighten our hearts through this word? May we uh, apply it, may we trust it, and may it bear good fruit in our lives this day and this week. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, last week, uh, Kenny Clark preached on the first three verses here in Genesis chapter two, and if there was one uh, line that just echoes in my mind from that sermon, as as indeed it's the, the line that sort of echoes throughout redemptive history, it's as if God is continually Shouting down to man, can't you just rest? Remember that, okay? Can't you just rest? Can't you just rest in me? Can't you just rest in what I've done for you? And, and that sermon was a, a particular uh, encouragement to me. Um, but ironically, this week, we're going to talk about work. As many of you know, I, I teach at a, a public high school, and uh, in my years of experience, uh, if you were to boil down the challenges of teaching high school to two things, it would be this. Two things that students hate above all things, doing their work and following the rules, right? Doing their work and following the rules. If we could just get them to do their work and follow the rules, everything would be better, right? And often I think we, we see these, these two things, doing our work, following the rules, as, as therefore uh, horrible, uh, ah, we have this visceral reaction to them. But what's interesting is we come into this text, this is the pre-fall Eden. This is before sin has entered the world. And what do we see? We have work and we have rules. So, as we, as we walk into this passage, it's a long passage and there's so much here, um, I, I want us to just focus on, on three specific ideas, three big ideas, uh, and they're pretty simple, but if you're like me, I, you have to be reminded of the simple things. I need to be reminded of the simple things, and um, here they are. If you're taking notes, if you want to just spread out an outline and we'll uh, get to each of these. The first thing we can take from this passage that it seems clear is that man is a special creation and God has lovingly prepared a special place for him. Man's a special creation and God's put him in a special place, lovingly put him in a special place. Um, 
Now, actually, before I move on, let me, let me just make something clear. Uh, if you hear me say man, okay, understand that I'm, of course, referring to the text as written. Uh, the, the Hebrew word Adam, Adam, man, it, they're interchangeable. And it, so it can refer to the man. It can also refer to mankind as it does at the end of chapter one and then at the beginning of chapter five. Um, and, and just let's understand that uh, it's inclusive. We mean men and women, Okay, and I'll try to make that more clear uh, as I go, but just I want to say that. Um, So number one, man is a special creation, and God's lovingly prepared uh, a special place for him. Uh, Idea two, God created men and women to work and thereby reflect God's image on earth. God made men and women to work and thereby bear his image on earth. And number three, if God is our maker, then he is also our moral authority. If God is our maker, he is also our moral authority. So those are the three big ideas we're gonna kind of jump through as we uh, look at this text a little closer. as we, as we jump in, I just want to make an observation about the structure of this passage and, and something of the context. You'll notice at the beginning, verse 4, we have this line, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth, and it sounds kind of poetic, okay? That phrase, these are the generations, that is a recurring phrase. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be repeated 40 times across the book of Genesis, and it's going to, uh, as it were, sort of review and preview uh, each narrative chunk, okay? Um, and, and the reason this is important is that in Genesis, what often happens is the writer is going to lay out uh, a, a, a big swath of, of the story, okay? He's gonna lay out a story, and then right after that, he's gonna loop back around and develop a part of that story even further, with more depth. Does that make sense? And so it's not a perfectly chronological narrative that's unfolding. This happens all the way through. So we just want to keep that in mind, okay? So in chapter one, we've got the creation week. God made the heavens and the earth uh, day one to day seven. But now in chapter two, the writer is doubling back and talking about some of the more particular details of the creation week, okay? Uh, Now, uh, though we could, it's, it's not in uh, my interest uh, to argue uh, from the pulpit whether uh, these days uh, are to be taken as literal 24-hour periods of time or, or as long ages, whether they are strictly chronological or whether they are analogical. Uh, or how Genesis 1 through 2 will eventually be seen to fit into our more perfect scientific understanding of the the earth and the cosmos at large. Um, That's not to say these aren't important questions. I think they are. We need to hold to uh, the idea that God created and this is history. This is history. Um, But we do have scholars uh, who are, Christians, Bible-believing, gospel-affirming scientists, and Old Testament uh, uh, thinkers uh, who are divided. And so we do have resources on our website if you want to check that out for yourself and and look at those tertiary questions uh, in more depth. Um, But for us today, through this series and, and this morning, I think it's most fruitful and most faithful to the text to ask what it is that the writer of Genesis 
is calling special attention to here in chapter two. So the first thing that I I think is being uh, pointed out is that men and women are a special creation, okay? Men and women are a special creation. We've laid out the creation week, but now we're gonna, we're gonna, Give more details. And the details are centered on this, this ultimate sixth day creation, men and women, created in God's image. Notice uh, verses five through nine, what's going on here. We have another, we have, we, we have a repeated pattern of uh, we've got the earth as yet uh, void and formless at the beginning of Genesis, but then God fills it, Right? Uh, we've, got, uh, we've, we've got land, but we don't have things in the land. And now in verses five through nine of chapter two, we have a similar idea. We've got the earth, but as yet it is unwatered. It's unmanned. Uh, and therefore, uh, it's uncultivated and unproductive. But what happens is God responds, right? Right? He set the table, as it were, and now he begins filling it, filling those needs. He responds by planting a garden. He waters it, and then he creates man from the dust of the ground to cultivate it and to keep it. And special attention is given to this forming of man from the dust of the ground and breathing the breath of life into his nostrils. Now, some scholars would say, ah, see, man is the only uh, creature that, that uh, you know, has a soul or, or, or something like that, and, and that's possible. That, that could be intended. Um, we're not sure, actually, uh, because other creatures have the breath of life in them, clearly. Um, our, our, our cats, for example, we have one cat who particularly has the breath of life in him, a very lively creature. Um, but... but don't miss the point. The point here is that man's, uh, the, the breathing of life into man is the most important, okay, within the creation week. That's the thing that is emphasized, okay? So man is a special creation, and he's put in the midst of this special place. Look at this garden. God plants a garden. I don't know about you, but uh, I'm not good at gardening. Uh, I, I, I would like to be. My parents are amazing at gardening. Um, my friend Jason Tresser is amazing at gardening. John Kehoe is a professional gardener, okay? But the first gardener was God. Think about that. The first gardener was God, and he planted it in Eden. And look at some of the details here. Look at the, the detail that jumped out at me this time going through this. He says in verse nine, out of the ground God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. I always think of the, you know, oh, it was to, to, to feed man, but it was also to look at. It was also to be pleasing and pleasant. Sometimes you plant a garden just because you gotta have food. And sometimes you plant a garden because you want it to look nice, Right? in your front yard or something like that. This garden was both. Perfect balance of, of uh, utility and beauty. And God's, God's the architect. So this is a special creation in a special place. Now, there is a, a kind of a spirit of the age today. Uh, one that I've been aware of since I was a, a small child 
watching cartoons on Saturday mornings. Anybody remember those, those Saturday morning PSAs, public service admonitions? You guys ring a bell? Yeah. You're watching cartoons, and then all of a sudden they're talking to you, right, telling you what to do, uh, you know, about how you should, uh, what kind of foods you should eat, and uh, brushing your teeth, and how you should chew, you know, fascist propaganda. Um, <laughs> And I, I, I don't remember, I don't remember the precise context, what it was exactly, but I have burned in my memory this soundbite, this voice, and it was something along the lines of this. You look at the earth, and you look at the environment, and you look at the world, and you look at the, the wonderful animals and all of that, and all of the, you know, like the natural predators of, you know, things and everything, but the greatest enemy you know what's coming. The greatest enemy, wait for it, man. And it was said with this sinister, you know, guttural kind of accusatory voice. And I always kind of bridled against that. I was like, man, you're a man. Should I, <laughs> wait. Do, I, do I trust you? Okay. Um, now, it... it, it and, 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 that, and that mentality has, has in some ways persisted. Now, l- let me just say off, just right off the bat, like most spirits of the age, I think they often point to something that is true. We don't want to just dismiss and say, oh, well, that's them, okay, this us versus them. No, we should affirm truth where we, where we see it. And let's be honest, sometimes man is the problem. In fact, yeah, we... We have an amazing history of fouling things up. Environmentally, uh, the way we treat creatures, uh, the way we treat one another, um, the way we accidentally spill gallons of crude oil into the ocean, things like that, okay? So we should own that. Um, But at the same time, the Bible gives us a different picture of man, one that's very different than than a spirit of the age uh, that we hear uh, from... uh, People like James, uh, Dave Foreman, founder of a, a journal called Earth First, he says this, phasing out the human race will solve every problem on earth, social and environmental. <laughs> it, he kind of sounds like God before the flood, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but that's not the way it was supposed to be, Right? And, and even in that, there's this tone of, oh, that's not the way things ought to be, right? From a biblical perspective, men and women are the apex of creation. They are the image bearers of God. They are his vice regents, his deputies, and they've been put on earth to bear God's image and to extend God's creative activity. And that brings us to the second major idea here. God created men and women to work. This is before the fall. God created men and women to work and thereby reflect God's image on earth. God establishes work before the fall because he wanted to make himself known throughout the earth. Uh, Kenny preached last Sunday about God's rest and he gave this great explanation of why God rested Uh, and and what that means. Uh, He pointed out that uh, God's rest was from the activity of creation. That on the one hand, creation was complete 
and it was good. On the other hand, he left it intentionally incomplete. He gave it a built-in incompleteness, some assembly required, we might say, with some sloppiness. Why? So that the creatures that are created in his image, who were put in this special place, could then be like him by working and extending his rule and reign and, and creating new things out of what was already there, making the earth even more fruitful and glorious to reflect God's glory. So there's a sense in which that just as God has worked so that we can rest, God also rested so that man could work. And think about the privilege this is to to reflect God's image in our work, in our labor, To, to be given in Eden, the joy of discovery. This this amazing place where all your needs are met, but God at the same time says, play. Work and play at this point are, are, I would think, practically indistinguishable. And we have to see that this this would have been a delightful thing, right? Uh, Sometimes we're delighted in the work that we do, and sometimes we're not. But before the fall, all work was a joyful activity because it was the way God worked. God was delighted at his creation. The morning stars sang for joy when he created. And when you think about it, we can't enjoy the treasures that this earth has to offer without work, with a little sweat ethic. Just look at some of the details that uh, the author, the, the writer throws in here, uh, I think for a couple of reasons. One, to give it a historical, geographical context. Look in verse 12. Talks about the rivers, and here's where Eden was between these, you know, it was at the head of these four rivers, okay? Which, might, which suggests that Eden was, the garden was maybe up on a, on a mountain or a hill. It wasn't just a garden. <laughs> it, it was a garden with a view, <laughs> Okay? But look at, look at some of the, just the, the, the details that might seem like throwaways. But it says, there is, where there is gold, the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold there is good. And what else is there? Delium and onyx. I had to look up delium just to confirm that I knew what it meant, what it is. Anybody know what delium is? Besides a word with a silent B, which is rare. Um, but it's a, it's a tree gum or sap or resin that's excreted and it's fragrant, it's aromatic, it's kind of like myrrh. You would use it to make perfume. Think about how wasteful and extravagant this is, that God puts these things in his creation, perhaps outside the garden just a wee bit. Because if man hadn't fallen, have you run through these thought experiments ever about what if, what if man hadn't fallen, right? And they'd fulfilled the creation mandate. Be fruitful and multiply. How big is this garden? <laughs> and if people are living a long time, we're gonna have to expand, right? Well, here we go. I was, I was on a hike uh, with, with a dear brother a little over a year ago, and uh, we were talking about food, because food's good, and um, he had this great thought. He says, do you think God was like waiting in anticipation 
for centuries for man to discover chocolate and going, oh, I can't wait. This is gonna be so great when they discover chocolate and how to make it and how to bring sugar into the mix, okay? This afternoon, I'm going to make an, uh, 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 an appetizer. Uh, dates stuffed with blue cheese. Now, that's weird. But man, what a discovery. And I am so grateful <laughs> to whomever discovered that amazing culinary move. Yes, I'm gonna wrap it in bacon. I know that's post-fall, we eat meat. Yes, okay, okay, kill and eat, kill and eat, yes. All right, just declared it clean. Because you, you can wrap anything in bacon. Um, but, but man was given this work, right? And it was good. Work was good. We were made for it. We were given muscles and a mind. And that's all we needed, okay? To work in the dirt, get our hands dirty, get fingernails all, yeah. So, what does this teach us? We, we, I want to pause here. We, we want to avoid some ungodly attitudes then about work, some, some errors in our thinking about work. One error to avoid uh, is that we, we should not seek rest without work. We should not seek rest without work. In our day-to-day lives, we should not seek rest without work because work is not a necessary evil. As my wise friend pointed out the other day, work was not cursed. I don't want to steal thunder from whoever's preaching that passage. Uh, But work was not cursed any more than childbirth was cursed. So think about that. We shouldn't seek rest without work. And, And later the Bible echoes this idea, this idea that we need to be diligent. We were made to use our bodies and our minds to do things, okay? Uh, to promote things that are good. Proverbs ten four says, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Ephesians two ten for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Colossians three twenty three through 24, whatever you do, Whatever you do, work heartily as unto the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And 2 Thessalonians 3 spends a majority of the, of the chapter warning against being idle, okay, of refusing to work. So we shouldn't seek rest without work. We shouldn't seek rest without work. On the flip side, though, we should not seek work without rest, right? We could go the other way and fall into the ditch on the other side by idolizing our work as a means of self-actualization, right? We could, we could have this idea of a works righteousness to promote our glory rather than God's glory and fame. So it says in Psalm 127, verses one through two, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. We were created for work, but we were also created for rest, and we have to have these two passages in balance. 
Does that make sense? Two other ideas I'd, I'd like to add. I, I think then, number three, we should not promote a narrow view of work, of what it means to do the Lord's work on earth. I think we're susceptible to this way of thinking as Christians today, where we have things like professional ministries, right? Full-time ministry, I feel called to full-time ministry. Guess what, we're all called to full-time ministry, right? And all work under God's law has been sanctified. It has been, it was, it was holy from the beginning and because of what Christ has done, it has been redeemed. It can be redeemed. Uh, Martin Luther put it, the milkmaid milking to the glory of God is just as much doing God's work on earth as, as, the, as the, the monk in his study, Okay. Uh, another Martin Luther anecdote, he was hoeing his garden, so he's gardening, and one of his very spiritual disciples asked him a question. Oh, well, if you knew that Christ was going to come back, if you knew that Jesus was going to come back this time tomorrow, what would you be doing? And he said, I would be hoeing my garden. Was there anything shameful about hoeing in one's garden? He was doing a good work creating food so that people can eat, to, to carry on their life in service to God and the proclamation of his gospel. These are the dots we have to connect. We have to see God's work as broad, as broad as the earth and as broad and diverse as, as you and I, the way we've been gifted. But, but one fourth thing, and I wanna add this because I know there are a lot of younger college students, people who are kind of on, the, on that cusp of what am I gonna do for the rest of my life and, and, and all of that. Um, this is just, this is me, not the Lord. Uh, <laughs> I think we have to be careful if we equate our passions and our preferences with our gifting or our calling. We should not equate our passions and our preferences with our gifting and our calling. Adam and Eve, they were gifted. They were gifted a garden. <laughs> Here's your work. It, it, God didn't do a, you know, an inventory of, well, what are, what's your skill set? He says, make it your skill set. What has God put before you? What are, what are things you could do right now, perhaps? And, and this is not to say God doesn't lead us and God doesn't maybe give us something that we have a real penchant for, uh, like, like my youngest son. He, he just really loves to build stuff with wood, okay? So yeah, maybe that's a trajectory that he's gonna follow. But you never know where it's gonna lead, right? And so many stories are like that. But the idea here is that all work under God's law has a nobility to it. But we have to keep that, that qualifier in mind, under God's law. And that brings us to our third big idea. Because God is our maker, he is also our moral authority. Look what we have here at the end of this passage. He puts man and then later woman in the garden to work it, to tend it. And he gives them all blessings, but he has one rule. He has one rule. And did you notice, the center of the garden is the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, if you're like me, you always fixate on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? Where's that one? That's the bad one, 
right? Isn't that interesting? We always fixate on the bad one. But the first one that's mentioned is the tree of life, and the, the other one's kind of an afterthought initially. It's like, oh yeah, that one's there too. And they're both in the middle. Look at the picture that we have then of this Garden of Eden. Man is a special creation in a special place with a special task, and here he has a choice, the choice between life and death. He has a choice between life and death. They could spend eternal life with God, enjoying his blessings and his provision, or they could choose eternal death without God, apart from God. And of course, we know that they did choose death. But the good news of God's story is that the first Adam was not the only Adam, right? The first Adam was not the only Adam. In Romans 5, it talks about the second Adam, Christ, who we've been worshiping this morning. Christ who made the choice for us. Even though he was sinless, what did he do? He chose death. He chose death so that we could have life, so that we could choose life again. And this is the rest that we have. This resting in Christ, this resting in what God has done. Because all the works that we might do are filthy rags in God's sight because of our sin. But because of Christ, he has restored us to fellowship. Two things I wanna just highlight as errors we should avoid then with this last idea about God being our moral authority. We can't think that we're entitled to God's benefits without some responsibility. We can't believe that we're entitled to God's benefits, right? That's what they are. They're grace. And if you're like me, you might find it easy to forget that and think of everything, we have, everything I have as I have it coming, right? This last week, we had three appliances break. Yeah. <laughs> but we got on it. Two down, one left to go, and, and we'll, be, we'll be all right. But in the midst of that, oh, Really? You ever said that? Really? Okay. Dude, you know, say something like that. <laughs> to no one in particular, okay? But, but when I catch myself thinking those thoughts and having those outbursts, I really pin it down. What am I saying to myself? I'm saying, I deserve comfort. I deserve the ease and the goodness and the provision that heretofore God has given me. And I don't. I just need to remember that, right? I think the second uh, thing we need to avoid in our, in our thoughts, that we need to be on guard against day to day, is that often when we fixate on what God prohibits, we miss the grace, right? If, if the Christian life is simply about avoiding what God prohibits, then we don't know the gospel, If that's all we fixate on, we don't really know what it means to be saved because life in Christ is is grace. 
Let's look at what he has done for us, resting in that, and live lives of humble, thankful devotion to him. And that's how the work of sanctification works itself out. Not by saying, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, right? These things are, are un- unprofitable, okay? They're futile. So where does, this, where does this take us? We wanna go beyond the garden, and I love the fact that uh, Walt began this service in the book of Revelation. And some of you have been thinking about this, maybe the whole, this whole sermon is like, is he gonna get to this? Is he gonna talk about this at all? Let's go to Revelation 22. When, when creation is restored, and, and some of you have been thinking this, and, and, and maybe you know this, you've remembered this, and some of you might be discovering this for the first time. I always just, I, I, I love it every time. Look at Revelation chapter Uh, Let's back up, end of 21, leading up to verse 22. This is heaven. This is the city of God, the new Jerusalem, where God, once and for all, once again, makes his dwelling with men and women. I'm gonna start with verse uh, 22 of chapter 21. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, and nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. I can't wait. And did you see what's in there? We have once again a river. In Eden, the rivers flowed out of, out of Eden. In the New Jerusalem, it flows from the very throne of God. And we have the tree of life bearing its fruit every month. I think ongoing fruit of the month. (laughs) Just for always. And that other tree won't be there. And nothing unclean 
We need to live in light of this. We need to work in light of this. So I have some questions to to finish up our time. Questions for maybe personal study, devotion, application, maybe discussion uh, with your your grace groups or among your, your, your friends. First question to, to, that I think is of most important is have you acknowledged God's goodness and rule? And have you chosen life in Christ? If you're here, and, and this sounds kind of weird and, and, and maybe intriguing, but, but you don't quite understand how this, how this all fits. Maybe you're not a believer. Maybe you're, you're not yet uh, uh, trusting in Christ for your salvation. That's, that's job one. That's always job one, following uh, God's word. See, God's in control. God made this world. He made you, and he is uh, your authority. He's my authority. And we are not to be authorities unto our, ourselves. We've seen how the world goes when we do that. We've seen what happens when we follow our own sensibilities of the way things ought to be. And the, and the bad news is, all the work we do now on earth under the sun is vain. All of it is vain. It will not get us back into good favor with God. But the good news is that Jesus Christ, his perfect son, lived on our behalf. He lived the perfect life, and he sacrificed himself on a tree. A tree that for him was death, but life for us. And if you trust in his sacrifice alone, you can look forward to the great city that is both a city and a garden, a city with a garden in it. And if you, if you would like to talk more about this, I would love to talk with you after the service. Please come talk to me. I would love to help you understand these things and pray with you. So that's the first question. The second question What special place has God put you in right now? Think about your surroundings, your spheres of influence. What special place has God put you in? What resources has he given you? Materially, socially, economically, what resources has he given you? And how are you stewarding them? Every day I look out my back window and look at a yard that is in growing disrepair. I gotta think about that. <laughs> but I also need to look at my children. <laughs> which which is, you know, yeah. But but what special place has God put you in? What work has He set before you right now and how are you stewarding it? And question three, and this is more at the very heart level. Think about the work that you do on a daily basis. Maybe just write it out on a piece of paper. In my day, I, (laughs) all your tasks, describe the work you do, and then ask yourself, Lord, what's my attitude towards it? What is my typical daily attitude towards work? And, and, And ask God to show you the places in your heart where you still need to have the gospel take over to give you assurance in Christ but also to provoke you 
to love and good deeds? How can I regard my work as holy unto the Lord? Now obviously there are some kinds of work uh, that, that uh, maybe the Lord is gonna point you a different direction. Uh, as one theologian playfully puts it, um, you know, if, if you're a Christian and, and uh, you're designing slot machines for gambling casinos in Vegas <laughs> that, that enslave people by the thousands, you might wanna rethink that one, <laughs> okay? But if you're doing something that contributes to somebody's good, to your community, to your family, whether you're working from home, whether you're working at a job or a career or abroad or, or even if you're between jobs, what's your attitude towards that daily, day in and day out work? And, and ask God to give you the right heart to see the work that he's put before you in a light uh, that will give him honor in the way you do it so that we can work cheerfully as unto the Lord and not as unto men. As it says in Proverbs 16.3, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will succeed. Let's close in prayer. Father, we confess that our work is as filthy rags, that we, though we were created to work, Lord, we fall short in so many ways. But praise be to your son, Jesus, who worked on our behalf to give us salvation so that we could once again be your partners on earth, to be your vice regents, to be your deputies, to fill the earth, to be fruitful and multiply. Father, I pray for everyone in this room that they would all hear, that we would all hear this calling on our lives, that we would be fruitful in our day-to-day work and that we would be fruitful in the gospel, that the gospel would bear fruit of the Spirit in our own lives and that many, many more would be led to our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in his name and for his glory, amen.